Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for all that you've done this morning already. I thank you for your goodness all the way through time. From the beginning of creation right up until now, you have been faithful. Thank you for sending your son 2,000 years ago and giving us a message of truth, a message of hope and salvation and, and your kingdom. I pray, God, that your kingdom would be built this morning. I pray, God, that you would come and reign over us and help us to bow the knee to you today, knowing that someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. I pray for an anointing on my brother Bob as he preaches. Just fill his mind, his mouth with your words. I pray that you'd open our ears so that we, if we have ears to hear, we would hear and obey what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Good morning. As I was preparing for the sermon this morning, my fam- some of my family overheard some of the sermons I was listening to, some of the teaching, some of the, uh, they looked over my shoulder, some of the things I was reading, and uh, even some of the things I was writing. And I was uh, approached by at least one of my children saying, oh, Father, a lot of the people don't believe the same way you do, so let's not cause any division, shall we? But um, I rest assured that, or I, I, I hope that you'll, by the end of this, understand that I'm not trying to cause any type of division. Can everybody give me a hand here and, uh, and help me make a point? Can you raise your Bible above your head and show me that you have one here this morning? Very good. Very good. You can put them down now. Now, I'm going to read out of a passage uh, in Judges chapter 11. Can anyone here help me make sense out of it? I can't begin to wrap my head around it. And I'm going to read this passage and just know that this story really makes me scratch my head. This is, uh, this is going to be uh, Judges chapter 11. For one thing, I can't even pronounce this guy's name correctly. However, uh, verse 34, And Jepheth came to Mizpath unto his house. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbles and with dances. And she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art the one uh, of them that troubled me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For so much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee on thine enemies, even the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, let, let this thing be done unto me. Let me alone for two months that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went into with her companions and bewailed, and, and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of those two months, she returned to her father who did to her according to his vow which he had vowed, and she knew no man. So just off the top of your head, what does this passage mean to us? Now, I want you to forget everything we just read. (laughs) I want you to not even think about it anymore. I want you to push it out of your head. Um, And I do thank you for your attention. I don't plan on talking about that verse, and I'm sorry for the sleight of hand, uh, though I'm sure that if we were put our heads together, we could probably work through this difficult passage. Uh, I, I imagine a preacher that was handed this passage to preach 
on would really have to use his head to think through the Jewish and surrounding cultures to see why God would uh, hold him to a vow that, that, if you look in other passages, dishonors God. The human sacrifice, uh, says in one passage I read in Deuteronomy, is a dishonor to God. So why would God hold him to that? We're going to push all that aside, though, because that's not what we're here to talk about. I'm just using that as an illustration. What I really want to talk about is these verses out of Revelation, which is why my children were really nervous. Revelation, you don't need to turn to these. I'm going to read through them really quick here. Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 through 18 says this. He has granted, uh, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He caused all, he caused all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except for one that has the mark or the name of the beast, the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666, or actually the earliest translation of Revelation that they can find is 616. That's a whole other discussion and sermon that we won't go into. Revelation 14.9. Then a third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength under the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and with brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worshiped the beast and his image, and whoever received the mark of his name. Revelation 16.2 For the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Revelation 19.19 And I saw the beast, the king of the earth, and his armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword that proceeded from his mouth, who sat upon the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw, the, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. In researching, researching this topic of the mark and the forehead and the hand and all that and just going through, I can't tell you how many times I found one sermon illustration, so I just gotta, I just gotta say it because I saw it so many times. But, um, you probably heard about this woman before. Her name is Carolyn Smith. She put it out that she was willing to auction off her forehead for a tattoo of any company that wanted to pay her, and she put a big tattoo across her forehead. Uh, the winner, I won't even tell you the company's name because I think it's the, whole, the whole thing is disgusting. But uh, the winner paid her $10,000 to have a tattoo of the company etched on her, on her forehead. And i got to understand, this billboard, everywhere she walked, people would see it. They would see that actually it was a web address. They were able to, um, 
to see this web address, and she was an advertisement for the company. Walking down the street, people would see it. Walking, talk, just talking, buying groceries, people would see it. I would say even this, that when she was dead, they would even the, the people preparing her body would see it and have probably a discussion over it. That, was, that marked her life. That $10,000 was her exchange for that tattoo. I've titled this sermon as a question, Shall We Receive the Mark? The verse out of Revelations is pretty scary. To those who choose to take the mark on their hand or their forehead will receive all the benefits of living in the here and now. Be able to buy, they'll be able to sell, they'll be able to be uh, accepted in society. But after they die, their die is already set. They have made a choice. Even before they die, they're exposing themselves to God's wrath, sores, wishing to die but not being able to. They are sealed unto damnation. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of the torment that sinners forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Those who worship the beast in his image and whoever received the mark of his name. These are scary verses. I ask you, who in their right mind... <laughs> Who in their right mind would receive a tattoo or a barcode or whatever uh, on their right hand or their forehead, except for this Mrs. Smith person? Um, even in the day that John wrote this, there were uh, impressions that were made on people's foreheads. They were runaway slaves, by and far, who had uh, brands or, or uh, engravings put on their foreheads. So anybody that could see them would see this person has ran away in the past, their property of so-and-so. They would also have brands put on their, their hands. If, you, if anyone's had a chance to read um, uh, uh, <laughs> Uncle Tom's Cabin, a book in American history that basically changed everybody's opinion about, uh, uh, about slavery. It's a, ph a phenomenal book, but uh, in it, it has a, the slave owner putting a brand on the hand of a slave that had ran away. It, it was a practice that continued on and on and on. But in John, when he's writing this, and the people who are reading, you got to understand all the books of the Bible when we read them. First, the, the first primary audience is the people who, that they were written to, the Church of Corinth and the uh, Thessalonians. And, and obviously, John had an audience in mind when he's reading these things. The people who would have first read them, they would have not thought that this is something that anybody would seek. No one would ever seek to have the shame of, of, of a slave and have a brand put on their forehead. This is not something they would want to... The only thing that's closely socially acceptable would be the idea of a soldier. They would also have a brand put on their, their hands if they had re reached a certain uh, rank. Uh, but his audience unquestionably was Jewish. And the Jews would never be allowed to be a military in the Roman military. So, that, so there is nothing socially acceptable about this receiving of the mark that his audience would have said, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Um, some people who, uh, so the people that Revelation was originally written to would not have seen this as a good choice. And the Hollywood movies today have chosen the number 666 and this idea of branding the forehead and branding the hand. The Hollywood movies have, have made this a, a, a demonic thing. So even the world, I don't think anybody would say, hey, this is a really good idea. You know, all I got to do to buy food is just to have this, this silly tattoo put on me or this computer chip or whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, I just don't think that that is really what he's talking about. 
And even more so doubtful to me because I think that the book of Revelation is a book of history. There's a lot of it that's been fulfilled. There's a lot yet to be. And so uh, if there's some yet to be, this is part. This is kind of scary, this, this whole thing, the, the choices that you can make if you have this brand put on you. You know, there's a, a, a historical view of that brand as well. And John is referring to an allegiance to a system. He's not saying that there's going to be a beast uh, in this, this historical view. Again, I'm partial predators, but there is a, a historical view that would say that this was the Catholic Church and saying this is how we're going to worship. And this is we've got to speak in Latin. And, and actually, it's pretty convincing. If you go through the historical view of the mark of the beast, it, it sounds pretty logical that it might be the papal system. It might be the, the Catholics. Um, certainly, the if you go through the historical view of the man of lawlessness in Thessalonians, it makes a lot of sense that this that papal system. Some of the things that that uh, the popes have said over the years really lines up with the law of uh, the lawless man or the uh, Antichrist. Anyway, um, but I'm not really concerned this morning about the historical view or the futuristic view. Here is something really scary to consider. What if the mark that John was talking about in Revelation is not about a tattoo or a computer chip or an RFID, a radio uh, RFID, radio frequency identification chip, or a magnetic marker that's mixed with a vaccine for COVID? What if it's closer to what our Adventist friends would suggest? A, a, a giving in to something, a form of thinking, now they would say that worship on Sunday is taking of the mark. That our, our Adventist friends are kind of on the extreme here. They would, they would say that the taking of the mark has a lot to do with whether you worship on Sunday or not. I, I would strongly say that Monday is as holy as Saturday, as holy as Sunday. Thursday is as holy as. So I think we would all agree that it's not a day. We're not Sunday keepers. We are Sabbath keepers. Jesus is the Sabbath whole nother sermon. But um, but the, the Seventh-day Adventists does have an interesting point to say that it's not a physical mark that John is talking about. He's talking about an acceptance of a worldly system, whether it be Catholic or whatever, but we're accepting this mark. The idea is, is not a thing, but it's an accepting of, uh, acceptance of doing and thinking. What if it's not something that can be seen. What if the, in this room there may be some that have already accepted this mark? We would never see it. We don't see it. We don't see a tattoo. We don't see a thing on the hand. Well, God forbid, but is it possible? I opened up this sermon this morning with a very confusing conversation. Verse taken out of context. Going down a different road. But can you, can you give me a hand here? What was the real theme of what I was asking? Just off the top of your head, what was I trying to hand you? To many I know, I, uh, I had your head spinning with the misdirection. Are you still scratching your head? The reason I brought up the whole other scripture and, and, and saying, hey, I have all these problems, is all through that description, I'm sure that those of you kind of caught it, I'm handing you something. Now, am I actually physically handing you something or is that a symbol of saying I'm giving you something? I'm scratching my head. Thank you, Roger, for the illustration. I'm scratching my head. That, that's, again, it's a symbol. This doesn't really mean when you're really confused, you do this. In fact, if you listen to uh, uh, the pineapple story, 
they're scratching their nose. So it's, it's just a cultural thing. They're scratching their head, nose, whatever. But um, these are different things. Uh, uh, the misdirection could be a sleight of hand. We have, in English, we have a lot of use for the words head and hand and indicating how we're thinking. I can't wrap my brain around this. I can't wrap my head around what you're telling me. Or, uh, hey, don't hand me that. that. That's a lie. I don't want to believe that. That we use these, these symbols. And much of Revelation is written in allegory and symbolism. Choosing the mark on your right hand might mean that your actions are taken in the name of the beast. Or be it the dragon, or be it the man of lawlessness, or, or even be it Satan. If your acts are of the flesh and for the world, might that be a brand on your hand? One post I read suggested that buying and selling might not mean feeding one's family, but means something else, like a test of true desire. What do we truly desire? Worldly materialistic success and acceptance or God and his promises, eternal promises? Do we want something that we can uh, touch and gain pleasure out of, even though they're just a temporary short-lived experience? Uh, or do we want something deeper and heavenly? that we can feel in, uh, intensely for all eternity, such as unspeakable joy. This test will determine whether we truly desire what we truly worship. You catch that. If, we, if, we're, if it's a symbol, if our thoughts are seeking after our flesh, seeking after the world, then that could be a brand. This mark we bear in action or thought shows who we are pointing to. Are our thoughts focused on whose son we truly are, our Heavenly Father? Or are we pointing in our secret thoughts, in our acts, towards the other Father, the one of lies? By the way, by secret thoughts and actions, I'm referring to those things which will be brought to light at some point. Right? Our sins will find us out and we will leave a testimony. Ah, but I hear you say all those references to hands and heads and are, are modern talk. They're, they're American. They're English. They're just turns of phrases. But what does the Bible say? So I'm just going to go through a short litany here. Isaiah 41.13 For I, the Lord your God, hold your, your right hand. It is I who says to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Is he talking figuratively or is he talking literally? Yet the righteous hold, uh, holds to this his way, and he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. That's Job chapter 17, verse 9. Here's Proverbs 31, 31. Give her of her fruit of her hands, and let her work praise her in the gates. This is out of Matthew. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather than a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. This is out of Matthew again, 5.30. Very familiar verse. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than it is for your whole body to go into hell. Again, you've got to ask yourself, is cutting your hand really going to stop somebody's actions of sin? Or is he talking about our actions? We've got to stop whatever action that is. We've got to cut that out of our lives. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James 4, 8. Seeing he despised the oath by breaking the covenant, when, lo, he had given his hand 
and hath done all these things, he shall not escape. This is out of Ezekiel 17:18. By the way, uh, in another translation, in the uh, uh, New English, it says, it broke his word rather than given his hand. He broke his word. Are not mockers with me, and doers not my eye dwell on their pro uh, provocation? Now put down a pledge for me with yourself. Who is he who will shake hands with me? This is Job 17. Uh, this is uh, Ezekiel. And he gave his, uh, they gave their hands that they would put away their wives. And, be, uh, and being guilty, they offered a ram in the flock of their trespass. And, uh, and the New King James, that they gave their hands is from the King James. The New King James says they gave their promise. So it's changeable with they gave their hands as they gave a promise. Again, it's a symbol. And when James and uh, Cyphus and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barabbas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they, should, and they to the circumcised. That's Galatians 2.9. Another side sermon, by the way. This is an excellent verse Help me get over the idea of uh, membership, church membership, that there could be two believers in Christ, two parts of the body, one off to this direction and one off of that direction. Uh, but they gave the right hand of fellowship. Don't don't miss that. It's a symbol. They they didn't say we're we're one, but but on separate missions. Here's my hand. It was a symbol. They're using the hand as a symbol again. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make my uh, many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Isaiah 1.15. Again, it's a symbol. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Psalm 119.8. I will lift up my hands. Certainly could be taken literal, but what does this do? What does this do? But our actions, I lift up my actions to you. I am going to meditate in your commandments. Makes much deeper sense. My actions. And as for the head, repaying no one evil for evil, but give, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord, to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. I sincerely hope we all consider that to be figuratively. Right? I mean, we're not going to be taking a shovel full of hot coals and throwing it on somebody and saying, ha, you're blessed. Um, do not be overcome by evil, be overcome by evil with good. This is Romans 12, of course, 17-21. Children... This is out of uh, Isaiah. Children, I have reared. Uh, children, have I reared and brought up? But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its masters, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged, distant. Um, they were. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Isaiah 1, verses 1 through 31. Exodus. Exodus. And you shall put on... Uh, this is a really good one. We're going to come back to this, hopefully, if we have enough time. And you shall put on... Uh, uh, should put it on a blue cord 
that it may be on the turban, and that it shall be on the front of the turban, so that it shall be on Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity uh, of the whole the holy things which the children of Israel hollow in all thy holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. He will come back. We'll come back to this verse here in just a minute. Ezekiel three eight. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like ambient stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead, so do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed by their looks, which they are rebellious. Uh, this is Jeremiah 3.3. 3. Therefore the showers have been withheld, and there has been no latter rain. You have had a harlot's forehead. You refuse to be ashamed. I found it interesting that many of these words in Hebrew for forehead could be translated just as easily as face. It's the same if you, if you go through the, the Hebrew, it's the same word. It's the front part of your head. The front part. The, what the, the part that people see. But the best verse, and going through this, the best verse I found is this. And I really want to spend a little time on this verse here. This is Exodus chapter 13, verse 8. It says this, And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up out of Egypt. And it shall be a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Recently, we went back to Pennsylvania. We had a long time waiting in between um, flights in the airport. And we got a chance to see a Hasidic Jew who had a little leather box on his forehead and who had something strapped to his, his left hand, which kind of surprised me. But um, at any rate, uh, if this is literal, as some Jews believe it is today, wearing the phylacteries on their heads and on their hands, then that is what it is. I mean, God said do it. They say, well, why aren't you doing it? Because God said do it, and they do it. Okay. But this is, I, I kind of went through a perusal of commentaries. Forgive me for turning to commentaries, but I am not that smart, and I really like listening to people who are. So I'm just going to quote some commentaries here. I'll tell you where they're at so you can toss them if you don't, you don't agree with these people. Um, because this is not scripture, right? This is commentaries. Predigested food, I would call it. Um, at any rate, so the Jews later found in verse 9, and uh, the Jews later followed verses 9 and 16 literally by making phylacteries or little leather boxes containing portions of God's word and tying them to their foreheads and wrists. But the spiritual meaning is that, that we uh, that we all, all that we do, our hand, and all that we desire, our eyes, should be in accordance to God's word. That's the Bible's, uh, Believer's Bible Commentary. This is the Geneva uh, Commentary. And it shall be for a sign unto thee, upon thy hand and upon the uh, memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. If you constantly remember it, as you would if the thing was on your hand or your head, and you would constantly think about it as if it was before your eyes. Now, that's their rendering of that verse. Here's a Henry, Matthew Henry. He says this, We must retain the remembrance of God's work, that we may remain under the influence of God's law. And those that have God's law in their heart should, be, have, it, should have it also in their mouth, and be often speaking of it, the more to affect themselves and to instruct others. So he, he's, he's just going right to the heart of the matter. He's, he's saying that if it's in our heart, it's constantly before us, right? That's, that's his understanding of that. Here's from Wesley. Upon thy hand, between thine eyes. This is um, uh, 
a proverb expression denoting things that are never out of our thoughts. Wesley, I think both Henry and Wesley keyed into that same issue. The Jews understand this literally. See Matthew, this is by the way, um, I think the pulpit. No. This is another, oh, this is Gil. I'm not familiar with this one, but he says this. The Jews understand this literally. See Matthew 25, 5. And hence the use of phylacteries among them, which they bind upon their left hand and upon their foreheads between their eyes, of which by such a practice could be of no use to answer the end, uh, the next mention, that the law of the Lord may be in their mouth. For surely this cannot be taken literally, but their sen the sense is that being instructed by the observance of the above feast and being taught the meaning of it, they might be able to speak of it to their children and so translate it from age to age onto their future. But with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. He, he was saying once again, it's, it's not a box. It's a condition of our thinking. It's not, it's not a, a, a wrapped scroll on our wrist. It's, it's our actions that we can continue this 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 beautiful thing that God has done for our people. And this is a, a McLaurin says this, for what is it to, to be a sign? It is a Passover feast. And therefore of the next verse seems to be, and the therefore of the next verse needs verse seems to be saying that keeping its ordinance in its season is the fulfillment of the precept. Besides the expression for a sign for a memorial may just as well be translated as it shall serve as or it shall be like you shall wear. So I think that we must say that this is a figure, not a fact. The enjoining of an object of thought and motive of life, not a formal observation. So he, he's saying, again, commentary, but he's saying that it, it appears by the, the fact that this is just not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, that it seems to be a thought issue. It seems to be a hand issue or an action. The modern Jews argue that they wear what Moses had uh, here intended and that their employment began from that, this time. Some Christian commentaries agree with them. But the great majority argue from the supposed probability and from the entire absence of any reference to the actual wearing of a phylactery in the Old Testament that the custom must be, comparatively speaking, a modern one. It is generally supposed to have originated with other superstitious practices in the time of the Babylon captivity. Those who take this view regard the words of Moses in the present passage as merely metaphorically and to be compared with other verses such as Proverbs 3.3, let love and faithfulness never leave you, bind them around your neck, Write them on the tablet of your heart. Or Proverbs 7, 3, bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so on. That is the pulpit commentary. I put forth. This is my, my thesis, if I will. I put forth that John didn't mean that the number of the beast would be a literal number, number or a mark. But it would be a different type of mark. One that shows an identification with. Shows publicly and privately who you follow. Deuteronomy 6, 6. And those words which I commanded you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them to teach them diligently to your children. And you should talk to them about when they sit there in your house and when they walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as the four, the four frontals between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates it is a sign of conforming 
or refusing to conform to. It is a sign to anybody who sees this little leather box that I am a Jew. I believe these things. The, 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 the great... Mm, Jeremy, what's that? The, the phrase, the Lord thy God is one... Oh, I forget the Jewish term for it. But there's that, that verse being there, it tells everybody that I'm... Well, if our thoughts, which come out in our conversation, no matter where we are, right? if our actions, which everybody gets to see, if they are pronouncing that the Lord thy God is the God, the only God, the one I follow and I worship and I sacrifice my life to, that, that's going to be seen. That's going to be in the forefront of my eyes. That's going to be in all my actions. In Romans 6.14, it, uh, it says this, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves, whom you obey, whether in sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that, through, that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine uh, to which you have been delivered. We are marked by what we do and what we think. Our testimony is what people see. People are won by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of the testimony of this, are we servants of the system or are we slaves unto God our Father? Do you know that you received, again, just stressing the issue that I believe that this is a symbol and not an actual tattoo that we have to worry about. Do you know that when you receive the Lord as your Savior and have asked for His forgiveness, and if you're sitting here today, you have a mark on your head. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is laying down some fundamental truths here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is laying down some fundamental truths, getting all of them on the same page before he starts the correction that he needs to do and to give them a direction, um, the portion of his letter. He's establishing his authority. But in so doing, he says this little truth. And I want to make sure you catch it. This is starting in verse 20 uh, and goes to 22. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 20. It reads like this. For all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now He who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed. Interesting word to come back and do a word study on sometime for you. I'm not going to do it now, but you should look at that word. Who also has sealed us and given us the, the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That word seal is a literal stamp. It's a stamp. It's a poured wax. A king puts a stamp on a letter. It is something to be broken only, only by the, the person that's supposed to receive it. Um, it, is, it is a seal. It is a symbol. And when he says up here, he says that we uh, established us with you in Christ. We're sealed. Now, I'm not going to talk about once saved, always saved. That's a whole other thing. But what, what I am going to say is that there is a seal. There is a, a stamp on us. And if you were to reach up and you were to touch your forehead right now, could you feel it? That's not the question. Can those in the room see it? That's the question. We're called to be giving our testimony wherever we go. By our actions and by what we talk about. Our, our thoughts are going to spew out. Are our, our thoughts in line with Christ, do we have that mark in our life? Or is that man marked as a Christian? Or is he marked 
as a man of flesh and sin. Billy Graham imagined the situation in which a Christian in ancient world was offered freedom if he or she would simply disengage in a little tiny act of sacrificing to a symbol of the, of the seizure at the time. You know, who in their right mind would be so stubborn to choose suffering over such a small little thing as just lighting a stick of incense? You know, Christians did. Their lives were marked as following God. I'm not going to follow the things of this world. They saw, uh, according to this quote, they saw uh, it wasn't just a small little act of obedience to Caesar. It was a wider act of disobedience to God. And Christ summons his true disciples to refuse the compromise and, and receive, it, receive it as unacceptable. In a broader sense, this temptation merely mirrors all the temptations to assimilate into the world's values and deny the kingdom of God. Where the early Christians adopted their, uh, where the early Christians accept this worldview, uh, as you can look in Revelations 2:14 and 20, uh, uh, or 2 verse 20. In 3, 16 through 18, these are talking about Christians accepting their worldview around them. Or would they come out? Revelations 18, 4, listen to this. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out from her, my people, lest you share in their sins, unless you receive of her plagues. Is it a question that continues to challenge the church today? Are we going to listen to the worldly music? Are we going to practice the, the gambling that, that is so socially acceptable? Are we, are we going to view the things? Are we going to ignore Psalm 101 and put vile things before our eyes? Whether it be pornography straight out or be it a, a, a commercial. Whether it be uh, Facebook or whether it be Instagram or whether it be uh, advertisements as you walk into a store and you go down that aisle and you know that that aisle is going to have these terrible magazines over here. Are, are, are you allowing the things in your brain to assimilate what's normal here? Or are we going to go with what Roger was saying this morning? Are we part of that kingdom? If we're part of that kingdom, that normal, that normalcy there that, that's inside that kingdom is not normal out here. It's a totally different normal. What mark? Where's our thoughts? Where, where are we sealed to do? But to those who overcome, to those who bear the mark of Christ, the seal of the Holy Spirit today, John sees those, those standing at the end with a name, uh, with God's name on their foreheads. Revelation 22, 2. In the middle of the streets and on the either side of the river, there was a tree of life which bore 12 fruits and tree yielded its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And, they, uh, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be, be in it. And the servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, and there shall be no lamp or light or the sun, for the Lord God gives the light, and they shall reign forever and ever. There was a seal put on the 144,000 before destruction. There was, and that was of God. There's a, Ezekiel talks about a seal that God was going to come through and destroy the nation or uh, the city. And he had a seal put on it. The seal's a, a thing of protection. If we're listening to God, if we're sealed unto God, if we believe and follow what he has to say. And I, and I, I suggest today that the devil has had a chance to, to, uh, to really confuse a lot of Christians by saying this. By saying, you can live the way you want to live as long as you don't take this mark. Because, you know, there's a computer chip coming. 
It's the size of a grain of rice. And it does, oh my goodness, there are so many web pages about this grain of rice computer chip thing. And I've heard so much lately about the whole COVID uh, um, a vaccine going to be the mark of the beast, and they're going with the ultraviolet light, see that whether you've taken it or not, and you can buy or sell. And you know, the devil has us convinced that these things are tangible, literal uh, things that we can avoid. And meanwhile, you can think this way and you can act this way, and that has nothing to do with the mark of the beast. Where I submit to you that the physical, tangible, literal things. I just don't agree with. I just don't think that he's talking about a 666 written or a 616 written across your forehead. I think what he's saying is that that you need to make a decision. Are you going to be sealed unto God or are you going to be sealed unto the devil? Make a choice. In the Bible, the forehead is often a metaphor for brazenness or boldness. It is also, uh, um, but also has connotation of identity and a decided destiny. When we look at the concept throughout the Bible, the references to the forehead are either very good or very bad. There's not much middle ground. Here are some examples. You are to make a plate of pure gold and engrave it like the engravings of a seal, holy unto Adonai. This is out of the uh, uh, Jewish translations. But uh, holy unto the Adonai, or holy unto God. Attach it to a, a violet, violet, cord upon the turban on the front of the turban so that it rests on Aaron's forehead so that Aaron will bear away the iniquity committed regarding the holy things which children the children of Israel set apart I lost myself there which children of Israel set apart as all their holy gifts it is to be always on his forehead so that they may have favor before God clearly um, this is about as positive as you can get. That's at Exodus 28, by the way. The chief priest had to display his allegiance to God in the most prominent way possible. He is wholly dedicated to the Lord and his purposes. He is no longer his own, but belongs to God as a vessel on behalf of his people of Israel. And remember, we are called kingdoms. Of, we are a kingdom of priests, right? And Peter. The sign, the holy unto God, there, there right on his forehead was a constant and prominent reminder to the people, to God and to the priest himself about the agreement that was in place between them. Decisions had been made and their life was to be set apart for God. Our lives would be... God should be able to look down. He sees brazen on our forehead. His name. He should see that. Uh, we see several references of the forehead being brazen as a picture of Israel's determined stubbornness against God. And we also see a couple of interesting appearances of the forehead and two tragic stories of Goliath and also uh, one of the kings, uh, uh, Uriah's foolish attempt to usurp the role of a priest. Remember, he got, he got leprosy. He didn't catch leprosy on his hand as he was offering uh, uh, incense. He didn't get leprosy on his feet as he was walking into the holy place. Where did he get leprosy? On his forehead. Where everybody could see it. Then we have this positive reference in Ezekiel chapter 9. As God was carrying out judgment on Jerusalem, uh, but sparing those who, who grieved over sin as God did. And they got a special sign to preserve them. God told the, the uh, angels to go out and to mark the foreheads of those who were grieving, who were crying, who were broken over the sin. And he, he said, mark their foreheads. And then when the other angel came through to kill everybody, oh, he has a mark. I will ignore him and I'll go to him, right? You know, whose side are we going to be on? The, the time has come for us to be bold before Christ, not to care about these things. And I don't know, I think I may have skipped over. It's coming up, but uh, if um, 
those who have read that book recently that was put out by Voice of the Martyrs talking about the, the, the Nazarite symbol being put on the doors of those Christians that are over there where they're facing persecution. Some of them accepted it. They, they have said, I am going to stand for Christ no matter what. I don't care if there's a symbol on my door. I am going to stand for Christ. That mark marks them as believers, and they've received that. And, you know, the Bible, he, the Bible rewards those who take those risks. And we have risks, right? We have somebody who, who cracks an a, a inappropriate joke. Are we going to laugh at that joke, or are we going to walk away from that company? Are we going to stay in that company? We, we may take some, some comments about that. Oh, come on. These people who have the N stamped on their door can be killed, hauled out in the street. And, and, and the little tiny things that we're called to do in obedience of, that may make somebody look at us strangely. And, I, and I, I, I'm speaking to myself here. I, my, I have children, uh, and my wife, who wants to hand out tracts a lot. And, and there's, this, there's this something in me that I don't want to face that embarrassment or I don't want them to think the wrong things. And, you know, here I'm handing these things out. And um, who cares? Eternally, eternity is coming. Right? Eternity is already here. What are we doing for it? Uh, do no harm on the earth or sea or the trees until they have put a seal on their foreheads of the servant of our God. This is Revelation 7.3. sure sounds a lot like uh, those verses in Ezekiel. This mark of God on God's people is to protect them from judgment. Like in the book Ezekiel, later in, Rep in Revelation chapter 9, the judgment is released in the form of destroying locusts who are sent to attack mankind, but not all mankind, only the people who, had, who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. This is a seal of protection. This is a seal of ownership and of belonging to God. Isaiah 44.5 describes God's people making a strong and permanent decision to identify with the God of Israel. The one who says, I am Adonai. I am God Almighty. The one who, uh, uh, that one will be called by the name of Jacob. Another will write on his hand, Adonai. He'll, he'll write on God, holy God, onto his hand and will take the name of Israel. Isn't it interesting that these two places, the head and the hand, are also the same place the beast is looking for territory. The forehead markings of the beast, uh, like a brand or a marking of identity and allegiance, it's a decision made. It's a stand taken. It's, yeah. There's a lot of things here I'm skipping, but I, I need to. You know, I, I had 50 pages. Yeah, I cut it down. <laughs> we're, we're not talking about so much here, guys. There's so much to the study of what that number is, who the beast was. And there's so many things that we could go down rabbit trails on. But I, I want to do this. Just as Peter was emboldened by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, we can ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to change us from being timid to becoming full of power and love. Many persecuted Christians in the Middle East uh, now, know, now have that letter in uh, on their door and satisfy the one who follows Jesus. We need to be willing to take a stand for them. And that's, that's part of that mark of God. We're going to take a stand. When believers pay a heavy price for refusing to deny, uh, for refusing to deny Christ, then they only receive a heavenly reward, but give a great blessing to brothers and sisters all around them. The stories have been told persecuted and killed uh, for their faith are a source of great inspiration and given great glory to God and shows how many of those uh, uh, believers God are worthy. Here's another quote from Billy Graham. Contagious. Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. God sees our hearts. He knows what is being written on our foreheads. But the truth is that the people around us can see much of what 
are in our hearts too, and far more clearly than we can. We may not consciously have our beliefs emblazoned or engraved on our foreheads with ink or a computer chip, but Paul, the apostle, reminds the believers in Corinth that our conduct is the scripture that those around us read. And this is his quote out of Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, a great quote. Just think about this, guys. You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by everyone. It is clear that you are a letter from Jesus delivered to us, written not with ink, but with the breath or the ruha, the breath of God, of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. People not, may not read the Bible so much, but they can read us. What kind of scripture are we displaying? What does our lives say about the God that we serve and our devotion to him? Are we living a life to please other people or are we living a life to please God? There should be no turning back if the seal of the Father is on our head. Look, I'm not talking about losing salvation. Again, it's a whole other topic, a whole other sermon. Um, but put that aside for right now. If you have received him as your Lord and Savior, if you have died to your transgressions and now live for him, if you who once were lost in sin and the ways of the flesh and the world now find identity in his name, you are a Christian, you are a son of the living God, then the work of grace that moved uh, that move of God, that extraordinary love of the Father was not meant to be hidden underneath a hat. Right? You are marked. Your thoughts, your motivations, your actions are all set apart for a holy purpose. You are sanctified for others to see Him. Our lives should be a spilling out, a constant spilling out of our thoughts. That's the mark of our, on our heads. Our thoughts. We should be filling our head with the things of God. Reading Bible. Listening to Bible stories. Listening to the Bible itself. Filling ourselves with godly influences so that our thoughts are constantly turning. That's the mark of God on our head. And it spills out when we talk to the person at the gas station and the person at the this grocery store. And we talk to one another and sharpening each other as iron sharpens iron. It's that mark of God in our lives spilling out. It's the scripture. Our actions, actions should be sanctified. Are they set apart? I once, I once heard a, a fellow describe sanctification. He, he said it this way. He said, you could go to any store and you could grab a pair of glasses. Or you could go to any optometrist and grab some glasses that have been left behind by somebody that was there before. And you can put those glasses on and they might work. They may not work. They'll, they'll certainly change the way your face looks. I can attest that, right? I, I'm not nearly as handsome, right? Okay, so glasses will change the way you are. But those glasses that are made for you are sanctified. They're set apart so that you can use them. They are made specifically for you. If we go to God and we say, God, change my heart so that you can use me, use me then our actions should be set, set apart. They should be specifically designed for the good works that He created for us to do. Our hands should be marked with His name. Now, let me challenge you in the last few minutes here. Let me challenge you with this. I've been giving it from the positive spin. I'm saying all of you guys have accepted Jesus. You have seen your life of sin and you said no more. God, by your grace, by your power, by your authority, by your blood on the cross, forgive my sins. Please allow me to come into your kingdom. Now, that's kind of how I've been approaching this. But you know, that's just not the truth all the time. There may be somebody here 
there may be somebody here who does bear the mark of the enemy in their life. Now, they, they're covered by the church. The church looks nice. The pews are nice. The people are all dressed good. We get up here and we talk good things. And we have, we have the Bible sitting on our shelf. And, and we have all these things. But on our thoughts, on our head, on our actions that nobody ever knows about because they're secretly done, are we not bearing the mark of our true father, the father of lies. If that's you today, if you're listening to this going, yeah, amen, 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 I, I read those things and I, and I do that and I do all these good things and, and, and I bear that mark of God and I, and I toss scriptures. But right now I challenge you, if, if that's your public life, then, well, great, you know, it looks good. And, and, and yes, you're doing probably good things. But in your secret life, if there's things going on, gossip, covetousness, anger, pornography, lust, if there's things going on in your secret life, then that truly is the mark. That's like somebody taking, I don't wear makeup, forgive me, neither do you guys, but I think it's called base, I don't know, whatever it is, rouge, I don't know, but something, that's like somebody who's accepted the mark of the devil, literally, a tattoo, and then taking base makeup and covering it all up and looking like they have it. You can look the part of a Christian, but if you're real, if you're really marked as the enemy, that's going to come out, and God is going to pour out His wrath on that. And the smoke of their torment ascended forever and ever, and they have no rest or, day, or night or day who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. We're going to bear a mark. I don't think there's any neutrality here. We are going to bear a mark. Are we going to be bearing the mark of Christ, the one who loves us? Or bearing the mark, remember, did what? It, it allowed them to exercise in the here and the now, to receive the benefits of the here and now, be able to, to buy and to sell and to, and to listen to whatever they want to listen to and, and to say yes and yes and yes to their flesh. That's the mark of the beast. Or are we going to bear the mark of God who denies our flesh and, and seeks after God? You're going to do one or the other. And if you're living a secret, talk to somebody. Repent. There's time. The book of Revelation kind of spells out a thing that once you made that decision, there is no going back. I don't know when that decision is. I don't know when Romans chapter 2, 1 kicks in when God gives them over to the uh, gives the retrobate mind. I don't know when that happens, but but I do know that there is a permanent mark that God knows. Lord, I've said a lot of confusing things. I've said a lot of things that people could take uh, a different view on. I've said a lot of things, Lord, out of my own flesh and my own understanding. I've said words that belong to, to uh, uh, people that have read your word and digested it. Maybe, God, you spoke to them about their circumstances, but not to mine and, or us. And yet here I am repeating their words. Lord, there's, there's lots of wrong things about what happened up here this morning. But the right thing is, God, you love your people. And you want to set your seal on their hearts. Lord, we, we want to bear the mark. We want to be marked as people who will follow the Lamb. As little Christ's. Lord, fill our lives with, with those things that, that point us in the right direction. Change our desires. Help us to, to figure out what's in our life that gives us the wrong desires so we can get rid of it and follow you. 
and not be uh, um, double-minded in any way. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Thank you for your time.